Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-CEO of Established. And on this episode, we're catching up with Cooper Harris. She's the founder and CEO of Clickly, an AI impulse payments platform. Cooper is emerging as a pivotal figure in the women's tech scene. She's a recent winner of Information Age's Innovator of the Year. She was nominated for Google's Young Innovator Award and L'Oreal's Digital Women of the Year Award. Uh, she's also among the youngest named by Adobe as a top data-driven thought leader. And uh, she basically invented a payments layer that leverages machine learning to make purchasing directly within digital UIs possible. So all the ads that are out there in the world have now turned into e-commerce, potentially e-commerce sites, because you're able to make a purchase right from an advertisement, which is pretty awesome. Um, so it's a significant innovation. It helps with efficiency in the market and obviously has a lot of value for a lot of people. So really excited to be talking to Cooper today. Um, she's also among, you know, doing all the things in the innovation side, she also likes to give back and works with um, fellow young women to forge a way for STEM and uh, often speaks at number, a number of events around the world, um, like CES at the United Nations, South by Southwest, um, Shop Talk, Sundance, just to name a few, and talks about her, you know, her, her journey and, you know, disrupting the status quo, as well as her expertise in fintech and retail and and e-commerce and obviously fostering women in STEM. So really a great, uh, great person to have on today. We're excited to have her. She was part of the Start the Year program in 2016 and actually was one of the top companies from that year. Uh, we had a chance to obviously work with her and invest in her through our established ventures um, arm. And uh, we're excited to be a part of her journey and continue to, to catch up and, and actually help as long as much as we can along the way. So before we jump in, though, uh, I wanted to share some updates from our team. We're, we're sharing some, some new, new segments, if you will, from our, from, from our team members that provide some interesting commentary and updates about things that we're working on, tips and tricks, and uh, expertise, because our team has uh, got years and years of expertise in the startup and, and corporate world, and we want to share some of, the, some of the things we've learned. So first up, uh, we have our VP of Engagement at Established, Rich Malloy, with the VC Minute. Take it away, Rich. Hi, this is Rich Malloy with Established Ventures, bringing you the VC Minute. Quick advice to help startup founders fundraise better. Let's talk about finding investors to target. Fundraising needs to be treated like a sales process. You need to know who you're going after, why them, and how to approach them. But it starts with knowing who you're targeting. Generally speaking, you want to cast a wide net and start with the lesser known investors first. If you're going to go after that big name investor, it's best to wait until after you've honed your pitch on the others. So let's build that list. Signal.nfx.com is where I send most startups. It's a free online platform for VCs to list themselves and for startups to find them. While you're at it, you should visit another NFX site called The Company Brief and make a company brief that you could forward along to investors. Visible.vc is an investor relationship hub, so it's only fitting that they have a searchable database. Head over to connect.visible.vc to search for free. Omnivalley.co is a great resource with a searchable database focused on investors outside of the Bay Area, but they have some Bay Area VCs as well. 
And finally, if you'd like access to our network of investors and have us introduce you to them, then head over to Startup of the Year. We hold weekly office hours that are only open to applicants, and we connect startups at our annual summit as well. There's no cost. There's no catch, except to be part of the Startup of the Year program. That's all for the VC Minute. Back to you, Frank. Great stuff, Rich. Next up, we've got our Director of Partnerships, Jackie Dietrich. She's going to be talking about some partner updates. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Jackie Dietrich here from the partnerships team at Established with a few quick updates from our partners for the founders out there. First, a cool addition from our friends at Hello Alice. They've added a guide to pitching investors virtually, complete with tips from our friends at Sputnik ATX, a VC-backed accelerator. If you're interested in virtual accelerator programs, check out the Anywhere Accelerator With Techstars, the 2021 application is open now. And if you're an impact-driven entrepreneur with a scalable technology, product, or service, be sure to check out the latest from SeedSpot, including upcoming accelerator deadlines and other worthwhile events. And uh, the folks at AffWorks have just announced the latest topics for the upcoming SBIR program. This is for hundreds of startups to get contracts worth up to $50,000 for a three-month runway to test the feasibility of a commercial product or service with Air Force customers. Be sure to check out the AFWERCS website for virtual office hours and information on how your startup can submit a proposal for this program. You can find all the information in the notes for the show. Thank you, Jackie. Next up, we've got our VP of Programs, Lori Teal, with a tip for startups looking to be found and a little bit of an update on the Startup of the Year program. Hi, everyone. This is Lori Teal, VP of Programs at Establish, which powers Startup of the Year. We are getting super excited for our November summit, where we will meet the top 100 semifinalists from our 2020 applicants. If we have not received your application, you can still apply. This brings me to my tip for the day. If you are a startup that does not currently have a contact email on your website to source incoming emails, you might be missing out. Our team constantly reads, reviews, and sources incredible startups, but we can't reach out without an email address. So I encourage you to stay approachable and know what options are out there for you. You don't necessarily have to reply, but make sure that opportunities have a way to find you and make sure you have a working email on that site. That's super important. So that's all for now and back to you, Frank. And lastly, we have our co-CEO, Jen Consalvo, providing some insights about starting a company. She and I have run companies together for the last decade plus, and uh, we have a lot of learnings, and she's going to share some. Hi, this is Jen Consalvo. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Established. So years ago, I had to make a decision about uh, whether to keep my job or go full-time into the startup world. And I think that's a decision a lot of people have to make at some point, right? You know, a lot of founders over the years have asked me, how do you know when it's the right time? And it's different for everybody, but I think a few key things are important for everyone, no matter who you are. The first is understanding what does it take for me to live, right? And that's, it sounds very straightforward, you know, okay, and I require X amount of dollars every single month or every single year to live. So I need to be able to make that. But the confusion comes in when you start to think about, well, could my startup make this much if I was 100% focused on it or not? 
or do I need to keep my job or reduce my work to part-time while I try to do this? And again, the answer is going to be different for everyone. But I do believe that um, if you stay in your current full-time job and keep working on your startup, you will get there, but it will take longer. So if there's anything you can do to start to move the needle, whether it's try to cut your job back to part-time so that you can work a little bit more on your gig or try to do something where you, you take on a different type of job or your does your startup lend itself to something where you can do consulting with it so that you can start to bring in more dollars uh, while still working towards your main goal. Those are some of the things to ask yourself and really delve into before you take the big leap. Uh, and you know, not understand whether you're going to be able to make ends meet or not. Because at the end of the day, you want to, you know, go after your dream. And the difference between an entrepreneur and someone who, you know, keeps their day job is the person who actually does it. Right? You have to be able to take those steps, but you have to do it smartly. You can't be the one to just jump and not know what you're jumping into, and then, you know, put yourself at risk. You have to put yourself first. So really delve into your own finances understand the big picture of what you need to live and look at all of those options and start to think outside the box about how could my company make this money maybe there are maybe there are multiple ways that you could attack this so love to talk to new founders anytime hope you all are going after your big dreams the world needs it right now take care all right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, team. Uh, great information. And hopefully our listeners found some value and some tips there and will help you with your startup journey and anything you're working on. All right. So we're getting ready and coming down the, the final stretch of 2020, which has been a kind of crazy year in a lot of ways. And uh, we're excited, though. We've got a summit at the end of the tunnel there. We've got our, our eighth annual Start of the Year Summit, which is going to be taking place in November. Uh, it'll be the culmination of our start of the year program, which we've been doing pop-up events um, throughout the year and fast-tracking companies to the summit. And 100 companies will compete for the uh, title of start of the year. But at the summit, there's more than just startups competing. There's the ability to build relationships that will last um, through some of the, the matchmaking and networking opportunities, and not to mention some of the speakers and, and folks that are involved. Uh, we're going to allow a lot of inter interactivity, and we hope you join us. So please register uh, by clicking on the links in the show notes. And uh, we hope to see you in November at our, our summit. It should be a lot of fun. All right. Now let's let's uh, catch up with Cooper. Cooper, how are you? Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is really fun. Um, what can I tell you about Clickly? We're growing really fast. Um, fortunately for us, because we're in the e-commerce space and payments, um, you know, what can I say during the pandemic, as we all know, folks have been a little bit, you know, in their houses and, and are buying a lot. So we see that firsthand. Um, but yeah, Clickly is really simply a, um, it's a SaaS platform. We power, uh, we use machine learning to power user acquisition for about 1500 of the fastest growing, coolest uh, brands online, direct to consumer brands. Um, they're just really anyone who wants to have e-commerce. So think like, the likes of, um, I don't know, who would be like well-known in this category. I think like Casper, Four Sigmatic, Poopery, those types of companies. Um, and there's so much fun to work with. So yeah, that's, um, that's what we're doing over at Quickly. Great. So how has that evolved since you, we saw you last in 2016? Um, well, the team's bigger and the tech's better and we have more funding. <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the, the actual idea itself is roughly the same. Um, the idea is very simply that we 
we work with these brands. They give us their products. Um, we store them in our database. So we have this massive, um, huge database of, of millions of products. And our job is quickly is to use intelligence, data, and machine learning to find the right person at the right time in the whole internet, show them a promotion or message about this awesome product. And then within that, what might have formerly been thought of as an ad, allow that consumer to actually buy the item. So practically what that looks like, because this is, um, you know, it's patent pending proprietary technology that we've built, right. but really what that could look like is like, Frank, if for some reason you are on Vogue and you are reading some article there, if you saw perhaps an article about Katy Perry's latest shoes, we could show you a cool pair of shoes with maybe even a discount and you could actually buy the shoes within the ad itself without That's amazing. Vogue. Yeah. So it's like impulse, um, impulse payments uh, and it's a commerce enablement platform. On the web, which, I mean, if yes. you think about it, a lot of what's happening with commerce is, you know, on Instagram, right? Like a lot of people are buying oh. things via Instagram. So you're now enabling kind of a similar uh, behavior yes. on the internet, which is everywhere else. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So how did you come up with this idea or where did it come from? Oh, wow. All right. So that takes me back um, to actually just before startup of the year where I had, um, I had this idea, you know, this is technically my third company before this, I was a television actor. So it was a very strange and quick, um, like, I don't know, uh, quick 180 into like deep technology. And this was my third company. We had just finished a bunch of hackathons and I turned to my engineers and I was like, why don't we have an impulse payment button? Cause I was reading this article, I think on HuffPost to be honest on my phone, and I was getting hit with all these um, ads in the midst of it. One popped up, it was a pair of shoes and I did want it. And I tried to buy it and it was just obnoxious. It spun up a new page and I had to go through all these steps. And on my phone, I was just like, I don't have time for this. So the question in my head was to my engineers, why are we still in an age where technically we have great capability to do a ton of stuff in digital? Why are we still showing just images, really dumb images of items that you should be able to buy, but then you have to click through eight to 12 steps, go back to the site and go through all these, um, you know, steps to actually purchase them. And we know technically why that is because payment gateways previously couldn't exist in these images and had to live on a site, right? But that's no longer the case. And so what we've done is we've basically enabled that payment functionality um, coupled with a lot of intense, you know, machine learning and intelligence to allow folks to buy kind of in whatever interface they're in. That's really cool. And so were you able to, did you build that actual technology, the, the payment components, or are you leveraging other yeah. components? So you, oh, wow. Okay. So, oh, well, let me be clear. <laughs> we brought the payment um, yes. elements into our, um, into our interfaces, but we currently work with some really powerful, right. um, yeah, payment partners. Uh, yeah. One of the C-suites at Stripe is actually an investor, which is great. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. All right. So, and you've been, in, you started, you said in 2016. And so now here we are, you know, 2020, four years later, you said that the team has changed, the, or has grown and, and obviously oh. you have more capital. So let's <laughs> yeah. share a little bit more about, you know, that progression, like who's on the team now, what's kind of the yeah. background of the company and, and maybe where, where you've gone with like, uh, I know you, you had some exciting news recently uh, before the pandemic. Uh, kind mm -hmm. of hit us. So let's talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit. Yeah. So I mean, like any small company with three and a half years in, you know, if, if you've got a cool product, which, you know, it did take a while to build this product, right? We invested heavily for a year and a half in the tech and then we went um, and launched out of beta about two years ago, I guess. And, and in the first six months, we had like 
hundreds of brands on the platform. So it, it was a really steep um, learning process for us because we expected like 20, 50, you know? Right. Um, so, so because of that, we had to grow very quickly. We had to hire quickly and train quickly, which I think we did well. Um, and then we raised around uh, this past, well, earlier this year, and we closed it, I kid you not, two weeks before the pandemic hit. Wow. So, you know, that day where everybody kind of became aware of it, it was what happened. Hank, um, Tom Hanks got COVID, everybody found out, and then the NBA closed. We were all like, oh, this is real? Okay. <laughs> um, so we had closed around like two weeks before that. Wow. Um, and it has some fantastic folks in it. Um, uh, you know, some, some very, um, I was going to say normal VCs. I don't know if they're normal, but traditional VCs like Walden Bitchers. But then we also had some really cool, um, you know, top executives and um, thought leaders at like Google, Amazon, Adobe. Um, funnily, one of the founders of Bomba Socks is, uh, is involved oh, cool. as well. And we love them because it gives us a perspective of like, hey, these are, you know, not only e-commerce experts, but they are living firsthand as, as you know, the best possible clients we could have, right? We love those. Right. Anyway, so that was fun. And then also brought on some key folks from um, Warby Parker as well, just to kind of round it out. So we have, um, you know, that full view of everything that's happening. And then we bought, brought on the former head of product, um, payments product for retail at Apple. Wow. So you've got yeah. a great team, it sounds like. You've got all the great Working supporters. Yeah. So how did you, I guess for anybody listening, right, they're trying to figure out how do I you know, create my company and, and yeah. how do I find these investors and, and how do I find these great people to come out, come on board? So let's, let's dial it back a second and say, yes. how do you, how did you go about meeting and connecting with all these different investors? Yeah. Um, you know, especially, you know, during that time, obviously it was before the pandemic, obviously right mm -hmm. now it'd be a lot tougher, but or maybe it'd be mm -hmm. easier. I don't know. Just kind of share people with people. What was your mm -hmm. approach, I think, and, and, and give any yeah. tips or tricks around that, because I think that's a big one for anybody listening to this, anybody going through startup of the year. Definitely. So, so those were relationships, a lot of them that I had cultivated over a long period of time. Like Baron Davis happens to be an investor. Uh, his fund is, is in Clickly, but he didn't invest day one. Like I had to build a relationship. He had to see us execute. So it's while some folks will come in day one and just be like, yep, here's a check. The majority of them will not. And it's your job as a, as a founder, certainly to be raising money. But I almost feel like raising money should be the outcome of actual hard heads down work and, and building relationships, but, but for the company, right? Because the reality is if you don't have something that's working, um, you can't show what your CAC is, your customer acquisition costs. You can't show what your theoretical burn rate would be in a way that's compelling. If you can't show certain metrics around your business, it's just going to be incredibly hard to get funded unless you have this like insane out there piece of technology, which we kind of did. But at the same time, you know, we're building a company that we want to, you know, it's not going to be this massive like Mars pod that in 15, 20, 50 years is going to be relevant. It's now, right. you know, so you yeah. can't, you know, you really do have to have a working product progress uh, product. And Frank, I have five steps, which I can share if you like for like really simplifying how to build a company and go get money. Yeah, that would be great. It's so geeky of me, but I literally like everything for me is steps or like a framework or an Excel sheet. So for me, the five steps are number one, when you have your idea, get excited about it, but assume that potentially it's shit and you need to go do a ton of research to validate this idea. Mm -hmm. So pick it apart before other people do. Right. 
Then when you do that market research, gather all those data points, put them in a deck and just hold on to them, right? Then you want to take all of that and you want to build a very lean prototype, like really hacky. Um, I, I may be biased because of course I did like, you know, in between two of my companies, I did like 80 hackathons and it taught wow. me to be super lean and iterative. Yeah. Well, at one point I, I held the title of the winningest female uh, hackathoner on the West coast. Anyway, wow. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> super nerdy. Yeah. Yep. But, um, but in any case, you want to build a really hacky prototype and, you know, ideally convince an engineer or two to work for very reduced rates or even potentially like a dollar side, side tip, pro tip, never, ever get an engineer to work for free because then you don't own the IP. So you need, you know, you need to pay them at least a dollar and let them sign a contract. So anyway, you get your prototype then and see, still, you haven't, you haven't gone out for money necessarily because none of this necessarily took money, right? So right. then the next step, and this is key, I think this was key for us, is you get um, letters of intent. So this is actually a non-binding letter. And I think most people should be familiar, but I wasn't. It's a non-binding, not legally enforceable letter on a big company's letterhead that's just impressive, frankly. And it really proves that like... Um, you know, folks would actually use your product, you would have paying customers. And then with all of that, with your vetted idea, your market research, your hacky prototype, and your letters of intent, only then do you go out and potentially ask for money. And maybe even not then because you want to get some actual metrics of people using your platform. So That's we got great. on like, yeah, we got on Troy Carter's um, Adam Factory with a letter nice. of intent. We got on, um, oh gosh, what was it? Hot Jam, some massive um, radio conglomerate in New York. We got on wow. like, a huge number of, um, yeah, of folks. So, so, so let helpful. me get this straight. Those letters of intent are just saying, we might use this product or we like this product or what did those say? Yeah. My friend who started Omaze, who's incredible, and I really look up to him, his name's Matt. Um, but he wrote something that was like, we love this tech, which of course he did. Um, we can see an amazing application for it in our business. Um, we would love to use it when it, when it comes out. And so right. simple as that. Yeah. And it's very authentic and genuine. It's just right. that right. we're not going to go sue each other if it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. So it's almost like when you're applying for college or whatever, you kind of go out and get some letters for a job. You're going to get some referrals. Yeah. You're getting these referrals written for you yeah. around what you're trying yeah. to do before it yeah. happens. That's a great idea. And um, one of our first ones worked out super well. We ended up doing this great campaign with Eminem and his merch uh, team. So we oh, sold wow. Eminem. Yeah, the rapper. We sold his stuff. So it was great. Nowadays, everybody wants to talk. Exactly. All right. So, uh, all right. So that's awesome. I love, I love Eminem and what he's, what he's done. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that's, you've got some great stories. I think obviously being on the West Coast um, in, in LA area, you probably run into a lot of interesting people as well. So um, like the M&Ms of the world. Mm -hmm. All right. So. Okay, so you t talk about this a little bit more. So you transitioned from being an actor to building a, a tech, a very deep tech company. Um, so let's talk about that transition as well. And that's probably another reason you've got some of those folks that you've run into that are probably crossover because it's such a mm -hmm. crossover between digital and, you know, uh, right. you'd say old school um, uh, yeah. entertainment. Exactly. Well, I mean, to me, I'm like, yeah, I actually think that kind of makes sense. But of course, to most people, they're like, what the heck is going on here? But I was, I was uh, um, pretty successful. I don't know, totally working um, TV actor for, for three, four years. Um, 
before I graduated college and right after I graduated, I was in New York, moved to LA on a Paramount film, loved it. I really loved it, but then I just loved tech more. So while I was on um, a TV show for a while, I was like sneaking off to hackathons on the weekends, got super into it. My brother is this badass coder um, who's like building websites, you know, at the early days-ish of the internet um, when we were like 10, 12. So yeah, I just got super into it. And then I, um, I ended up building my first two companies as almost like, one was like a digital content agency that used data to predict who would um, interact with what. And everything we created was geared towards like millennials. So that was kind of like a bridge company, if you will, that took me from, you know, acting to then kind of more entrepreneurship. Um, sold that, started a second company. I had to pause that one. It's still in the back burner, but we got funded for Clickly. So I had to jump into that and do right. some hackathons in between. Yeah. So that's how it happened. It was just kind of um, a burning interest and obsession and desire to, to be involved in the technology space and build these platforms, which is so obvious to say it, but like at the time, you know, I looked at Hulu and Netflix and it wasn't as obvious that they were going to totally disrupt the studio system and entertainment, but it was to me. Right. Um, it was very clear, you know, if you were in that to look at those platforms and say, oh, wow. And yeah. I had auditioned for like House of Cards. Um, oh, so cool. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. So, it, yeah, interesting. So that's how it happened. Wow, that's great. Okay, so let's let's switch gears a little bit um, and talk a little bit more about the current times. And, and you, you got that funding in February, which was, you know, obviously important. It's fuel for what you're yeah. doing. You don't have to worry about right now going out and raising in this climate, which I yep. assume is difficult, although maybe it isn't because everyone's available via Zoom these days. Um, but but either way, can you tell us a little bit more how the uh, pandemic kind of, you know, you talked a little bit about it at the beginning, but maybe talk a little bit more about how, how it's helped or, or hurt your company or yeah. how, how it's created like a little bit of volatility and if you're either able to benefit from that or, mm -hmm. or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely created volatility for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and in the beginning, I will say that we, um, the first or second week, we had a huge number of our brands, our clients pause on our platform, pause or, or, or leave the platform because they were just like, you know, everybody was stuck a little bit deer in the headlights. Like we don't know now what's going to happen. A huge number of our brands, their, their uh, factories were impacted. So they didn't have inventory. They had sold out of everything and they couldn't get inventory because shipping had basically slowed to a, to a halt. Wow. And then some folks, their boards, some of our brands, their boards had just come in and said, boom, no more spending till you figure out what, what's going on and how this is going to affect your company. So we had a scare at the very beginning being like, holy cow, what's going to happen with our brands. But the beauty is because Clickly's platform, it's all based on user acquisition and getting sales for our brands. And the way we charge is actually on a, um, a commission. So we only get paid when we actually drive sales. Wow. And that yeah. is because we're that confident in our technology and our ability to drive sales. And I kind of feel like every company should maybe do that too. But in any case, that's what we do. So we have a unique selling proposition to these brands. They're like, wait, this is semi-risk-free. Like, let's do this. So, so while at the beginning it was really scary because all of our brands paused, now we're actually seeing the opposite. Now we're seeing a bunch of brands come to us saying, oh, maybe we have limited budgets. Uh, we want to be a little bit safer in how we promote our products. Um, we still want revenue, but we only want to pay 
when revenue is coming in. Those are the types of things that are driving a huge number of platforms, um, excuse me, brands onto uh, Clickly right now. So it's actually been yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, I can't tell you every single, I, I must get like two or three emails a day from the same companies. I feel like <laughs> trying to like eat retailers, like e-retailers yeah. trying to sell me yeah. their stuff and it's you know a lot yeah. of markdowns and things like that and yeah. obviously a lot of the retail stuff is hurting but so like, much yeah but like it's pretty it's pretty wild the amount of um outbound they're doing to get people to buy things so i, I can imagine yeah. like it's you guys probably are positioned very well for that and people um, are inside and they're buying and this is going to be a really bizarre um q4 and black friday after you know thanksgiving right. uh <laughs> i it's going to be astronomical even, you know, in the past, Black Friday is always high, but it's going to be insane this year because we've seen multiple big box retailers where people would go and buy Christmas presents go under. They're not even around, much less, you know, requiring fewer people six feet and masks. They're not even right. there. Oh, right. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Now, do you have anything new, you know, lined up here launching soon in, in the future? Some new products or anything coming out? Yes, we do. Um so we have a very exciting um, beta coming up. It's still kind of under wraps. So we have a secret beta that's coming up and we are offering for certain brands who come to us, we're offering to put them in this beta program. Um, basically, it's kind of pouring fuel on the fire for what we do with like machine learning um, and new user acquisition. And it's still risk-free too. So um, yeah, we're really excited about it. We have about 34 companies in it right now, I think. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that's coming soon. And then on mm -hmm. the consumer side, like if you go to clickly.com, um, you can sign up as a, either a brand or a user, right? So yeah. a, a consumer. And so from a consumer perspective, what are you offering? Just so people know. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I already know, yeah. but share with the yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so there's a couple different levels of offerings. Um, the first and foremost is going to be just very simply, um, you know, we have a massive proprietary audience of about 70, 80 million folks that we know. Um, and this is not cookie based in the web. This is like actual people we know. We know what they bought and all that good stuff. And so we're able to just show them in a very non-intrusive way, the right product at the right time. And should that person want to purchase, they can. So that's the most hands-off version um, of being a consumer and interacting with Clickly. The second level is we have um, two new programs we've rolled out, newish. One of them is a really exciting, um, kind of like VIP email subscription, which gives you um, really cool uh, deals, um, special incentives, sometimes like even free products for like our very VIP customers. And we'll just, we just want our big email subscriber base to try the awesome new brands that are coming up. I mean, these are killer brands. Imagine if you'd never heard of Dollar Shave Club, right? When they were growing so fast and somebody showed you this product and was like, hey, we could even subsidize, you know, you to go look at this or not. But regardless, how much impact would have had that had to a bunch of people out there? So that's what we have. We have this massive subscriber base on email. And then we recently launched a shopping extension as well, which does roughly the same thing. Um, oh, yeah. what's the shopping extension called? It's Quickly. Oh, just Quickly. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. how do you get it? How do you get the extension? It is invite only. So we, oh, we okay. reach out to certain people that we believe have some status or influence, so to speak. And we offer them this little um, shopping extension, kind of like a little tray, and um, they can look at cool offers in it. So basically, cool. our brands are paying, yeah, to get in front of our consumers' uh, faces. <laughs> that makes sense. And yeah. the, the email kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, like back in the day when, before it was acquired by Amazon, Woot. 
Woot was out mm. there doing like daily, you know, interesting deals mm-hmm. that were like amazing. Like, yeah, like that plus guilt, I would say, kind of a right. hybrid yep. because it's a pretty high quality of product and and high premium brand. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Love that. Um, yeah, so really cool. And so for anybody out there listening, you can go sign up for that newsletter right now at clickly.com and uh, start getting your VIP offers. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about new products. Let's talk about um, any big customers or partners that you're excited about talking about or sharing. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we're about almost at our year anniversary of being a partner with um, Magento. So obviously Magento powers a huge number of sites on the internet. And um, also a lot of the really big ones. Um, And so having them as a partner has been amazing. Um, We we are, of course, meant to be at the conference and have a bunch of cool stuff set up. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Same thing with um, Shop Talk, weirdly. But in any case, also Shopify, great partner um, whom we love. We love seeing how well they're growing, um, both of them. Because they're helping these, you know, challenger brands, these up-and-coming smaller brands try to compete against the old legacy folks, you know, and also, you know, Amazon, (laughs) because, because these small brands, you know, turn into big brands like Dollar Shave or Bombas, and then they really can innovate and offer just such cool things. So yeah, we're really loving our partnerships with those two, Magento, Shopify, certainly other commerce platforms, um, Stripe, and yeah, I mean, those are, those are the big three that, that have happened recently. And I think you've kind of you kind of touched on it there. So, so the competitive landscape. So, who are you? Who are your biggest competitors? And is it Amazon? Is that your biggest competitor in what you're doing, or are there others? I mean, I I honestly have never listed Amazon as a competitor because number one, no one should try to compete with Amazon. But also two, or you know, it's it's yeah, it is what it is. But two, I really don't see us as a you know, we're not an online marketplace in the way that Amazon is. Um, strangely, our the competitor or quote unquote company competitor that we get likened to most is actually Facebook and Instagram, which is super strange. But I think it's just that while our products are radically completely different, the, the idea is we may be competing for like mind share and wallet share. Now what ends up we're not because of course we're only charging when we drive a sale. So it's not an allocated budget. So it's actually, we're not competing with either right. Platform. It's most similar, most similar and probably, you know, yeah. could be complimentary. I mean, I brought it, it up it for, within the first few minutes. I was like, you're kind of like Instagram yeah. because I, people buy things exactly. on Instagram. And so I think exactly. that, um, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I, you don't see it as much on Facebook, but I guess they're starting to like blend it in there um, mm-hmm. to buy to buy things. But um, that's really cool. So I guess now the key is then getting the, the word out, I guess, is that, is that the biggest um, hurdle for you guys or what, what's the biggest hurdle you guys? Yes and no. Um, our quickly used platform for brands is also invite only. So we have 1500 and growing brands, um, but, but we actually, every brand has to apply and we don't accept we, we turned down about five out of six brands. So if we wanted to just grow like gangbusters, we, we definitely could. Um, I think the key for us is, um, is increasing the abilities of our, of our targeting and our machine learning for sure, always, right? Just making the tech better. But I think what, what you'll see from us in the next um, couple of years is we'll actually start bringing on bigger and bigger companies um, and smaller and smaller. So we'll go upstream and downstream. And then our, our consumer offerings are blowing up. Like I'm really excited about where they're going and the response we've gotten. And so I think you'll see just, uh, I think you'll see more quickly in the past, Frank, we've been so, you know, we've been really in the, uh, we've been so B2B 
Right. And I think you'll see us emerge, yeah, as like a, a really cool consumer solution. Definitely. Yeah. So that includes that newsletter we talked about, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Okay. And so what about maybe some, you know, you've been doing this for a while now. Um, can you share a little bit of the, the startup do's and don'ts or things you've learned along the way uh, that really resonate with you? Maybe some, even the hard knock ones where maybe you, you mm-hmm. coming in from, from a different, different um, place. Cause you weren't, you know, didn't start in tech, you got yeah. there. Right. So maybe share some of the learnings there. So people that are, thinking about ideas that are, you know, maybe not yeah. in tech could, could learn from you. Yeah. Well, well, okay. The first one I kind of already touched on, but it's just so key. And I still do it by the way, I'm still guilty of this, but I'll have these ideas and get super excited for about a week. And then uh, inevitably I see this from young, young entrepreneurs or, or just early entrepreneurs. Um, they'll get so attached to their idea. It becomes their baby. And like, God forbid you tell them their baby's ugly or that there's like five other babies that are exactly the same. Right. So the, the, the tendency is to have an idea, get attached and not vet it properly. And then not realize that like a hundred out of 101 ideas that you have should be killed. (laughs) Don't ever kill your baby. Side note. That's not where I'm going. I'm saying (laughs) that your bad ideas should not happen and that there's 20 other things like it. So please don't try to, you know, expend investors precious limited time talking to them about those things, you know, find the idea that actually has legs and, you know, sometimes we don't know, but you can usually tell like, Hey, there's 20 other things that have failed like this. Let's maybe not do this right now. Yeah. Right. And then I think the other thing there to expand upon that I agree hundred percent is like, be flexible. You know, some people get so tied into that one idea yeah. that it is not the idea that's going to make it. You know? mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that's an important thing is understanding right. and having a little bit of um, the ability to, to read the market a little bit and understand mm-hmm. where, where it's going. All right. Very so, much. okay. So you uh, raise a little bit of capital and so we're going to talk about capital a little bit. So yeah. how much capital is the right amount of capital? That's a tough question, <laughs> I know, but I always like to ask people that and um, love to hear what your yeah. thoughts are. The, the correct answer to that question is the amount of capital that you need. Right. That is the right amount of capital. And there's two like thoughts, schools of thought on that. Some people think you need a huge amount of capital. And they will absolutely justify it. And in some cases, it's true. If you listen to Reed and all his stuff on blitz scaling, like there are certain scenarios where the right amount of capital is the amount of capital you need, which is a huge amount. Then there are other, there's the other school of thought, which is more Eric Reese and being super lean, where we're not blitz scaling. We're iteratively um, trying to like, let's say, break even or get close and really understand the unit economics and if this business is a fit. And that's where you the right amount of capital is the capital you need just to just to get to that next iterative step. So understanding the type of business you're building, I think, is key when trying to decide how much money you're going to take. As an example, if you want to, if you have an incremental gain in some kind of like cool battery that you're going to put in an electric car and you know that the electric car market is super hot, there's a huge amount of competition out there already. Um, and that this gain needs to get saturated everywhere for you to have even a foothold to get started, then you better raise a huge amount of money. However, if you're doing something else that doesn't require that, you know, maybe don't. Um, So yeah, I think it's always, I think it's a tension, but that I think the mistake some folks do is like having that company where you need to raise a lot of capital and not, or vice versa, um, 
raising too much before you really figure out your unit economics. And then like, you don't own your company and then your investors are like, why isn't this working? And you haven't found your market fit and then you go under. Right. No, that's a great point. If you don't know some of those metrics to begin with or the numbers, it's going to be hard yep. to even know what you need. So yeah. it's a, it's a kind of a rhetorical question in some ways, right? Because it, it you got to start with that to be able to get yeah. somewhere. I mean, I was, in, yeah. I always, but in I general, was, Oh, yeah. sorry, Frank, I got excited about this idea. Yeah, ahead, in general, though, <laughs> no matter what you decide, your company has to blitz scale, you have to raise, you know, multi, multi, multi millions, or your company is going to be small and you're going to raise a little, I think in both cases, still raise 20 to 50% more than you think you need. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's usually it's 1.5 <laughs> is what I would say, what yeah. you think, you know, or maybe yeah. even two, if it depends, because yeah. things could happen like a pandemic, you never know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it is 2020. So that's, that's a great point. Um, okay, yeah. so let's talk a little bit more about your company and then we're going to kind of dive into anything else you, that you want to share. Yeah. So um, from a, now you guys are, are all based in California or are you all remote? Tell me a little bit more about the breakdown. Well, both. Um, we, we are mostly based in California. We have a European office and a couple folks in New York, but we are, um, we are now all remote. So regardless right, right. of the fact that we're in LA paying a lot in rent, <laughs> we are sitting in our houses. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to dive into the, the culture piece, right? So you've got yeah. this company, you, you, you had some obviously locations and now we're going remote. You know, what are you thinking about as far as like, how do we maintain team culture and dynamic and all that? Yeah, so critical. So I actually, um, we just sent out a survey to our whole team, a very in-depth one to kind of gauge how they're feeling, how they're doing, uh, what they're wanting for the future. And it turns out, Frank, that they all miss each other. We all miss each other. It's great. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Everyone loves the flexibility of remote work, but they all miss each other a lot. And um, for the most part, we're doing really well. I will say this is because prior to the pandemic, we did remote Wednesdays every week and we had a really strict protocol. I'll give you some tips that have worked. Um, every meeting is on video, every single one every call, every meeting, because it shows accountability that you're showing up, that you're not like secretly watching TV in the background. Some people can do that, but it's not respectful to the team and the amount of work that we actually cover and do day to day. Uh, we're, we're like insane workaholics. And so it really lets folks, um, yeah, show up visually as well. And it creates camaraderie. We also have a little um, fun thing that folks are willing or welcome to steal, which is that on Fridays, we have the Clickly Cantina, which is simply our really dumb name for our Zoom lunchroom, which is <laughs> Clickly pays for like Uber Eats or Instacart or whatever for our employees. So we get everybody lunch and then we eat together. And it's really, it's a nice way to stay um, kind of in contact. And again, that feeling of camaraderie, which I do think is really important. Uh, we do keep very strict work hours. Um, folks are willing, uh, welcome to, to work out of them, but we, we do eight to five Pacific every day. Mm -hmm. Except the folks in Europe, obviously, they have their own work hours. Yeah, I was going to ask, are those poor yeah, folks no, like, no, getting up at no, the no. Okay. We do overlap. They join our daily stand-up in the morning at eight uh, because it's the end of their day. So we sync every day. And I just think, here's the thing. I know we're all adults and I know everyone's totally capable of like being flexible and productive in their own unique ways. And it's true, but I have to tell you from our outlooks at our productivity and our output teams do best with routine, with a feeling of camaraderie and with very clear structure and deliverables. It's like 
kids. I, I, I don't know if this is like, I don't want to, I don't know, denigrate my team or work kids, but, but, you know, when you look at uh, childhood development, kids flourish and exceed when they have really clear um, requirements to hit and when they have really clear schedules. It's, it's that routine. And we as humans, we crave it, right? We've yep. always gotten up with the sun, gone to bed with the sunset. And there's just certain things that we do. So, so fitting in with pe- people's rhythms while allowing some flexibility for us has been key. And I know that that goes contrary to like all the, you know, all the popular hype right now, but I'm voicing this because, you know, do what works. I agree hundred percent. Routine is important. And whether you're talking about employees, um, you know, children, Kids, yeah. pets, pets, like pets. <laughs> they all, you know, we, like you said, we all wake up to the sun. So um, great tips there uh, for anybody working remotely or, and trying to build that, that culture in this, uh, this time, especially. So uh, any last thoughts or anything you wanted to share that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, I, I don't know. I feel like we've really covered the gamut. Um, one fun thing that we've been doing that I'll just share is a monthly MVP. So we have folks vote, we, we nominate and somebody wins an MVP. It's like most valuable player award, right? On the team. And then we give them, um, we give them like a hundred bucks to go spend on any of Clickly's brands and they can go buy themselves a gift and it's cute. We celebrate them. So that's a fun um, thing we've been doing in the pandemic. I love that. I mean, I've always been about celebrations and creating those momentum events. And I think that's a, that's a great point like a great way to do it and um i'm going to definitely share that one with other people that because i think it's a great a great way to do it getting people to to get behind team members and you know everyone knows who's picking it up and who's not right so i think that internal kind of peer-to-peer voting is important yes uh, and then obviously it acknowledges the work exactly and then the other thing i would say that it's really interesting this is a super weird time less in person but I have found in some cases, there's a lot more community happening right now. So for those folks who are like early building a company or want to build a company, it, it could be a lot harder right now or easier depending on how you think of it. I started quickly primarily getting into the space. I went to, um, oh my God, like two, three, four events a week, maybe five, six in some cases, sometimes two a night, just to understand like the, the space. And then I had coffee with like two to sometimes three experts in certain areas every day, Frank, just to get up to speed on like tech and the industry and everything. A lot of and coffee. I was thinking about, there's a lot of coffee. Um, and I'm naturally like a high energy person, very frightening. Yep. But um, in any case, I was thinking about what would happen if folks were trying to get all of that going and really quickly integrate it into a tech ecosystem. What would they do right now? And I was like, oh man, that would be tough. But I have some solutions, which is, I think folks, from what I'm seeing, are, are creating and gravitating towards more community building online than, of course, ever before. I am getting quicker responses to very random LinkedIn messages that I send people. Um, same thing on Twitter, same thing even on Instagram. So, like, we can use these quote unquote social platforms to actually be social and initiate even business conversations, you know? And I will say, though, I know not everyone is on it. Clubhouse has been insanely cool. Um, it's showed me a whole other level of community that I'm just so craving and like appreciative for. Oh, I totally agree. Great tips. And especially actually using our, our social tools. Imagine yeah. that. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, great tips. Thank you so much for joining today, Cooper. I really appreciate it. If people wanted to connect with you, how would they be able to do that? Okay. Yeah, definitely on Instagram or Twitter. Like I'm at Cooper Harris on both. I'm like really the only one. So yeah, hit me up there. I'm very active. 
Wow. Thanks so much, Cooper. You're just a wealth of information. We're really excited about what, we, what you're doing with Clickly, and we're excited to be a part of the journey and hope that we can continue to help and support along the way. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to our show and review it. All those reviews matter, and we listen and, and want to continue to, to make this show better and want to find more listeners out there. So anything you can do to help and review us and, and share us with others, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, we want to be able to offer the information to help anybody looking to bring their idea to life. And speaking of ideas, if you have a startup idea or want to get something going, remember today is the best day to start. Not tomorrow, not the next day, today. So get it going and let's do this. Till next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Stay safe out there and be well and look forward to seeing you all soon. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon. 